Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Lifestyle with Dr. Moby. I'm Dr. Moby, and today we have great guests all the way from Australia, Melbourne, David Black. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you, sir, for coming uh, all the way. And, you know, with COVID, look at what we have. We can talk so many people around the world. Around, We are connecting more than ever, and that's amazing. Great. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, if it wasn't for being able to do uh, podcasts like your show, uh, right now in Melbourne, uh, the figures for how many people are getting sick are going through the roof. Now, we're supposed to come on today with Glenn Cook, who I've done a lot of work with, mm -hmm. and he's in the uh, he's feeling very sick, and he's in the queue to uh, test for COVID today, so he couldn't make it. Oh wow! Sorry, I hope he's fine, and you know, prayers are for everyone, and especially your friend. So, um, David is actually a great uh, with uh, producing movies, and his recent movies coming out, but. I would like to ask you, and we were already talking a little bit about your journey, how it started, and it was very fascinating if you want to share with us that journey. Oh, for sure. Um, well, what we were talking about before, uh, I started making movies just after I, I got my energy back after having had cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd... Uh, I didn't feel that the cancer I'd had had been an extreme one, except I've recently read that a lot of people have died from it. So now I'm thinking differently. But um, for years, I was struggling um, to just to get enough energy to get through a day. And it was just hard to hold on to my job. And uh, a friend had invited me to go on to uh, his film set, which was called Cult Girls. It was a big one and it had Jane Badler in it, who starred in V. And... It was just an extra role and uh, I wasn't sure that I could do it, but I went along and I managed to um, to make it through the whole day and I got home and I was still fine for going uh, to work the next day. And I went on on, on quite a few sets after that and uh, I fell in love with the movies. I found that I had my energy back and I had a new lease on life where I actually was now looking forward to doing something. And slowly from going on other people's films and working my way up from being um, a background extra to a featured extra to having a role in movies, I started making my own. And uh, I haven't counted how many I've made, but I know that uh, last time I had to do a bio, it was over 35. So I must be on, uh, well, that's 35 shorts. So I must be on about 40 shorts by now. Uh, there are... 10 um, music videos from my old band, Darkness Visible, and we've done around three feature films, and we have another feature film coming out soon that we started during lockdown. But because the, because the figures are going up with COVID again, not sure when we're going to get to uh, finishing those uh, last one or two days of filming. Hopefully it's soon. No, that is, uh, you know, COVID has really put us down with media for sure. You know, all the shooting schedule is being postponed for sure. So I'd like to ask you a little bit about movies. I know, did you start with musical videos first or was it short documentaries or was that actually movie? Well, music videos were first. 
Now, this oh. was actually before I started making films. Mm -hmm. So um, this is about 11 years ago. And just as we were starting to make the music videos is when I got diagnosed with cancer. Oh. But uh, I've never quite counted those, even though they count as um, in the film industry, I never quite counted them in um, this little journey with uh, making films. Because what would happen is my main idea was that I had my band and we had a song and we wanted to make a music video. So I'd reach out to people that made films and all of the work that I did in making the films is the same work that I'm doing now, but I was more under instruction from say the uh, DOP, Director of Photography. So I might say the Director of Photography, I've got this song, it's about this, this and this. I think maybe we could do this, this and this. So um, I would be told by the Director of Photography what we need, whether it be the cameras, the lighting, the crew, and uh, I'd go off and I'd do all of the things a producer does and find the locations and the people. But I didn't know what everything was. So I didn't know the DOP meant director of photography. I didn't know what the lighting person did. Um, I didn't know what a producer does, what a director does. And I was just really going under instructions and doing all of this. Once I was actually making films and went on to my first set, I started having everything explained to me. So I, I don't know why with the music video they didn't explain anything to me and why suddenly with, um, with the film they did. But at that point, I now knew what I was doing and what everybody else was doing and was learning on the set. And as I learned more and more, I decided that I'd like to make a short film, which that was a big worry. I wasn't sure that I could because I'd never worked with sound before. You see, when you um, do a music video, your sound is done. You've already recorded your song in the studio and you're just putting uh, moving footage to it. Yeah. When you, If you look at a lot of student movies, as soon as you start hearing it, you've got echoey, bad sound, all of the stuff that goes behind the sound quite often is missing because there's a lot of time that you've got to spend on Foley and uh, and cleaning up the sound. Now the cl sound cleanups, I was already quite familiar with because I, do, I, I sat with the mixes, with the songs, with the band and saw what happens with Pro Tools. So I already knew a bit about sound, but having having a soundy on set with the big boom, uh, boom stick and you know, the microphone and everything and making sure that they've recorded and you've got all of the different levels and it's mixed together. Because I hadn't done that, that was my first worry. Then there were numerous other worries, but um, we got through the first one quite uh, quite well. And uh, we've kept going with the main challenge having been the last two years with COVID. Suddenly, we, yeah, suddenly you couldn't um, have a shoot and have a whole group of people there because Melbourne was the most locked down city in the world. Wow. Over 200 days of lockdown over two years. Hmm. Yeah, that must be very hard. Uh, so also tell me a little bit about, you know, I when I started also, I started with music videos. I have done so far three of them. And we are into um, working on our first uh, movie 
which um, although I acted in movie, but this is I am writing, producing, and everything. So you know, this is gonna be. I mean, I you're probably when you started eleven years ago. So that's about time. So where we are right now is I'm starting with my first. Uh, I am now thinking, should I make it a short movie versus full length? So you know. I have enough material to do that, but the question is always, you know, which one do you suggest do first? Is it documentary or short movie or versus long? I'd start with the short movie. Mm -hmm. As for documentary, you've got to get the interest up very high so people want to see what you're doing, unless you come up with a brilliant concept. Um, the short movie can actually just be a proof of concept for the feature. So... Mm -hmm. If your feature movie has as a theme, you wanted to do a horror movie about um, a giant monster that attacks uh, New York, mm -hmm. you could do um, a short movie uh, first so that you'll actually see the monster, you'll get some feedback from people who have seen the movie and then be able to make alterations. You can approach the short movie in a different way that you might approach the feature. For instance, the short movie you might have um, to hang your story around, you, it might be a news report. So a, a five or six minute um, film telling a bit of a story via news reports, um, seeing newspapers, etc., of your monster. Mm -hmm. and then after that, if everything's gone well, um, you probably go back and change your monster a bit, say this didn't look well, that didn't look well. I mean, I just recently... We recently uh, did a feature called Badass Bunyip, which is about an Australian monster called a bunyip. I look back at that and I can see all of the problems we had with the costume. This was a zero-budget film and uh, my ideas of what would work with making a cheap costume just didn't pan out. And uh, I remember saying, can we cut it in this way? Can we cut it in that way? And before that one was even out, we'd started a second feature that um, we're trying to finish up, uh, except for problems with COVID. And that was called Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space. Mm -hmm. The minute I saw the footage come back of our Toxic Alien Zombie Babe, I thought, well, this doesn't look anything like um, anything as good as what it looked like in the concepts. Once it was filmed, and uh, I went back to uh, the uh, director, Gerardo Chichia, and said to him, can we put a shimmering effect over the alien? Can we do this, that, and the other just to cover up that this is the world's worst costume? Mm. If I went back in time, I'd say, hey, um, the idea of, uh, of having uh, lasers coming from the boobs and having these Madonna-type breastplates, that just doesn't work if you make them from tinfoil. <laughs> yeah. It sounded good at the time and it looked good on paper. It did not look good in the film. So we've got uh, an alien that is a little bit more mysterious than planned with uh, a lot of shimmer around it. Mm. And it actually, it actually works once we put the special effect on. Some of these things, it's be best to do a proof of concept shoot and a short is ideal for that. Mm. Also, you were telling me you did one Bollywood movie. Uh, which one? One Bollywood movie. 
Um, no, we haven't done a Bollywood movie, but um, I was on um, uh, the SCAF 7 Film Festival, which uh, I've been on their panel every year. That's the Seven Colours Arts Film Festival, which is uh, run by Indian people in Melbourne. It's an oh. international film. It's an international film festival uh, run by a guy called Nawal. So for the last uh, four, I think four years now, I've gone on his panel and had a film in each one. And uh, when it comes to Bollywood, some of the panels I've been on, I've been there for the day for the festival and I've seen the Bollywood dancing, uh, all, all different things from the Indian community. And it is just, it's an amazing film festival that... I'm still blown away that this film festival comes from Australia. Mm, yeah, yeah. Imagine you thought it'll come from India. So, so also tell me a little bit about which part in the movie you really like most: producing, directing, or, or acting, or all of. Oh well, I do everything purely just so I can act in movies. Mm. Uh, when um, I first started in the movies. I found that um, it was like little social scenes here and there and uh, the various directors were never going to give me a great part. It was just all about their own little uh, friendship circles. So I thought the only way I'm going to get a good role in the film is to write it myself and make it myself. Yeah. And uh, when it's come down to the do-it-yourself ethic, um, in some of these movies I've... Um, Although we were making maybe one movie a month or one movie every six weeks, the pre-production work behind each one would actually be three, four months. So my whole kitchen and, and uh, lounge room would be filled with props that I was making and costumes that I was putting together. So it got to the point that, I'm, that even if I was online because I'm promoting something or organising uh, actors, I'd be sitting here with a paintbrush in my hand and uh, a prop, and I'd be painting this prop while I'm talking to somebody. It was just doing five things at once, and I was doing a little bit of everything in the film, and an indie filmmaker working with no budget does have to uh, be very resourceful and does have to be able to do everything. Mm -hmm. mm. So tell me what... Uh, which movie is your favorite one or which one is your, I know you have done a lot of movies. So uh, It's hard to pick a favorite. I'm hoping that the upcoming one that we've got that um, should be edited by the end of this month, early next month, which is called Game of Groans will be the best. Now I nearly always hope that the latest movie will be the best, but in this case, we wanted to originally film this in November uh, 2019. It got put off just for a couple of months where um, I had an actress that was going to be going overseas, then she was going to be coming back, then we were having problems with her, she got a big head. So we had to recast it, and no sooner did we have uh, the film date set, the shooting date, the COVID hit. <laughs> Melbourne went into lockdown pretty fast. We only managed to shoot the um, film three weeks ago, and this is after constantly having to reorganise everything. And no sooner have we shot it than um, we're promised by our government that we will not go into lockdown again, but the figures coming through 
on how many people have got COVID are just through the roof in Melbourne, even worse for Sydney. The, um, the queues for people being tested are so long that people are actually being turned away. This is, they could be sitting there for five, five hours and then be turned away saying, look, we're closing the centre. The private pathology centres are five days backed up, so they're all shut to try to catch up on the tests they did um, on New Year's Day. So you can see that things are starting to look a little bit in Melbourne like one of those uh, apocalyptic movies. It's just starting to get to that point. Yep. So we've only just shot it. And if we were trying to shoot that today, we wouldn't be able to because Glenn, as I mentioned, came down sick with COVID. Uh, he was in that movie as well as being the gaffer. He was in charge of the lighting. So mm. we've... For me, this was the cursed movie because of how many times COVID hit and how many times we had to put it off. Wow. Now, so so I've seen, I remember what we did. I've seen some of the footage and I do think it potentially has, um, is potentially the best. Uh, the next big one we, we did just before the lockdowns, the last one before the lockdown, which was Hamlet for the Fireys. And that's about to show at the Warrandyte Feast in March. So that was the one I was coming on to promote before Glenn came down sick this morning. We filmed that on the last possible day before the lockdowns actually hit. And that one was filmed because Australia was going up in flames at the time. It's um, what, what was originally thought... With the firefighters, they originally thought, the volunteer ones, that they were going off uh, for a day or for a weekend to fight these big bushfires. They ended up on the front lines for about three weeks solid, which when you're a volunteer firefighter, you actually have a full-time job. These guys don't go off for that long. And what they were seeing and the sheer destruction and the animals that were harmed, it's very hard for a person to look at animals. Yeah. yeah. So a problem was occurring with the firefighters where they were suffering post-traumatic stress disorder because they're just exhausted. They had seen yeah. so much. And we decided we wanted to do a film to highlight that. So it's called Hamlet for the Fireys. And I took the, um, the monologue in, in Hamlet where Hamlet is deciding whether he wants to live or die. And most people are familiar with it in the old English, to be yeah. or not to be. We put it into plain English. So you don't have to worry when uh, the guy says, with a bare bodkin, we've uh, written the, the words in modern English. With, yeah. But changed them a little bit. For, instead of saying, with a sharp knife, we said, with the flick of a, knife, a sharp knife. So uh, Glenn Cook... Uh, delivers the uh, monologue in plain English so it can really be understood and you can really get into it. And Glenn actually has been a firefighter. Oh, before, okay. he got, before he got into the film industry, he was a firefighter. So he brought along all of his old uh, uh, firefighting equipment, um, you know, the helmet and even the correct knife. So he's brought all of that along and he's delivered this monologue so that was the one we were coming on to promote because that's about to be shown at a film festival. So that was our very last one before the lockdowns. During the lockdowns, people might not think that we were in lockdown here because <laughs> uh, 
I had about eight unedited short films and uh, the guy that normally shoots and edits my films lost his job during the lockdown. So he kept, he, he went and edited all of these films. They were all shot by different people. So we kept the ball rolling. At, for the first year, we just had a movie coming out every month as though we weren't in lockdown, but that was shot long before lockdown. We also started making films remotely during lockdown, organising mm -hmm. film crews who weren't in lockdown around the world, sent them off scripts, uh, sent them off shot lists, and that was how we were doing Toxic Alien Zombie Babes. Mm. So uh, I know I've gotten myself in a muddle here, but in a way, the latest film that's coming out was the one that we couldn't shoot due to lockdown, mm -hmm. and the one we're promoting is the last one we shot because of the lockdown. Great. So, I, I mean, I'm really touched by that firefighter story and, you know, it was very sad to watch animals suffering and, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing was so sad to even watch. So, I, I mean, I'm so happy that you picked that topic and I think that whole concept is really nice. So, I think your movie will do really well. I'm looking forward to looking at it. Once it's done, let me know. Now, also, I, I want to ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, what are those? I, I know nowadays because of COVID, we don't have much theaters. It's online presence. Do you have a lot of Netflix there too, or is it different vendor? Uh, we've got pretty much um, the same company. So Netflix is big here. Whatever's big in America has always uh, come to Australia. So. Australia is almost like an American state. Yeah. Like when I was a little kid, Australia was still very British and we still sung the British national anthem as our own, God Save the Queen, which uh, we got rid of and it's now Advance Australia Fair. But over time, Australia became less British influenced and more American influenced. Mm. So I grew up with a lot of... Um, I grew up with a lot of American TV. So our television stations mainly showed American stuff. Although yeah. we're in um, we're in Southeast Asia, really. We're, we're just at the bottom of Asia. So we had a lot of um, Asian TV as well. So, yeah, yeah we got a lot from Japan. So there's a, a little bit of a uh, little bit of that influence for me because yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up with a lot of uh, stuff that I loved. I, one of my favourite shows when I was a kid was Monkey, which is actually a Chinese story that was made in Japan. It was a journey to the West. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, you know, has China influenced a lot in, in Australia? Because now with China, you know, pretty much everywhere in that area. So their culture, I mean, they are very, by the way, Chinese culture is very rich, you know. They were talking about, uh, you know, that we're pre-communism. They're super, super rich in everything. Yeah, it's oh, fascinating. Yes. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch their dance as well as stories, as well as, um, you know, so many things. Amazing, you know. Amazing. Well, I was very strongly into uh, Chinese culture from mm -hmm. maybe the age of uh, 12. Uh, I should actually say more broadly Asian culture 
because I started doing martial arts when I was uh, 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was doing judo, which is Japanese. Yeah. One, of the one of the things that they told me when I was training, because um, by the time I was about 15, I was in the state squad for judo. And my judo coach was the Olympic judo coach, uh, Akira Yamada. And they were telling us, look, if you want to get ahead, you're going to have to start going to other martial arts clubs. So I was going to seven nights a week uh, to judo clubs, not always the same one, because the one, the main one that I went to was just a couple of days a week. And they said, no, do other martial arts. So do some karate, do some Aikido, do some Kung Fu. So I'd, do, I'd pay up for three months membership uh, once a week at, at um, say, a different club. So I did start to get into all of the Asian cultures uh, that were here in Australia. And um, Kung Fu was pretty big. And I, I discovered Chinatown <laughs> in Melbourne, which is where you went to buy your, your judo suits anyway. So, yeah, um, I, I got into the Asian culture. Now, I also got into um, a, a combination of both uh, Chinese and Indian uh, spirituality. So I studied that from 13 onwards. And when I was about 25, I was the editorial cartoonist for a major newspaper here called The Truth. Mm -hmm. So that, that went out nationally. And one of the things that uh, happened during that time was the Tiananmen Square massacre. So, so I covered that as an editorial cartoonist by doing some uh, cartoons on what was happening. And at that time, my next-door neighbours were Chinese. They were students that were out here. They all got to stay because the Australian government allowed any students who wanted to stay here. They said, look, you don't have to go back after what's happened. And so I started to get to know the next-door neighbours. And I thought, this is going to be fantastic. Um, I don't know any Chinese people that are actually from China. And as soon as we start talking and I'm talk asking them about Confucius, Taoism, these people are looking at me like I'm crazy. They've never heard of any of it. Mm -hmm. They were very non-spiritual. They had every qualification you could under the sun. You know, so, I mean, if someone was an engineer, they also had their forklift driver's licence because China was great with education on all things practical. They just, you wanted to study it, you could study it, you could get qualification. But they didn't even know um, anything about their backgrounds. This was just, to me, I found here's this really rich background. I didn't even know about the Cultural Revolution at the time. Mm. I think the Chinese diaspora is what kept alive a lot of um, thousands of years of history. Yeah. Uh, from it's, it's just a very rich tapestry. I mean, India's different. There's no problem there. Indian people are very proud of uh, of their festivals and uh, their religions. Chinese people that I met didn't know a lot. Yeah, I no, yeah. didn't want to know. They thought it was all a load of nonsense. 
well i mean they they are they have a different kind of values and i think same probably stands for they are uh, kind of less understood literature a lot of russian i, I love their literature too so i think the, these are the few which are not really um, not many people know unless you have interest in it so then you want to read about them so um, i think but one thing for sure you know they are uh, they are very hard working as you said uh, you know they have all everything under the belt and then uh, you know it's amazing i had also friend and i asked i said well i get stressed i i just pray you know to to my guardian i said so what do you do he says i don't do anything i just just, just get out of the so i said well you know but that's a you know for me was something to learn and see and i never thought that somebody would have that answer mm, yeah especially when you've got a culture which has got so much behind it mm-hmm. well when i was a kid um the whole hippie thing was still sort of going and at its tail end i remember visiting a lot of people's places and on the coffee table would always be a copy of the tao Te Ching that have i ching coins all of this stuff most of them didn't really understand it they because it's very it's written in a very flowery way so to actually uh for me to understand it it's been more in the computer age where i've been able to go on to uh google and start uh looking at the same words again but having somebody else tell me what those words mean put them into plain english but uh yeah back then i remember a lot of people were wanting to discover it and uh it's brilliant work. Actually, yeah. um, one that's very down to work that I find is one of the greatest books is The Art of War. Oh, Art of War. Okay, great. great. Yeah, when it's come down to marketing for, um, for my films, to me, The Art of War is a marketing book. It's all about process. Oh, okay, very nice. So you like that book? Oh, um, if, there were, if it was the end of the world, tomorrow and i was told you can have only five books that's one of the five that i would keep oh very nice i have to read that so then i have to read that okay so any final message david you have for for our viewers well um with the new strain of covid um out there and nobody knows what's going to happen I just like to give a positive message to everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, throughout the two years we've had so far, I've managed to keep films going and I've managed to keep my spirits up. But in in reality, behind all of that, I have been scared as anything and worried. Now, I believe we're just at the final hurdle. And I think just the fact that I was able to come onto your show from Mm -hmm. all the way from Australia, for me, for what I'm doing, this keeps the ball rolling. Yeah. So I'm not sitting at home doing nothing and saying, oh, poor me. I got to come onto your show to promote my films. Mm-hmm. I would like to tell everybody out there, keep your spirits up, look for the opportunities. Just because you can't go the way you are planning because there's a big block, that doesn't mean there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So 
just being on your show, even if I didn't manage to get my message across because I've been all over the place in this interview, it does stand as proof that you should keep hope because for me, it's kept the ball rolling for my filmmaking and for the promotion of those films. And that in itself is proof. Keep your spirits up. There's always a way. That is true. I thank you for that great message. I think people wanted to hear you uh, in totality. And I think we got a great idea. Thank you. It was fun talking to you, learning from you. And by the way, I'll ask you a few more tips uh, since I have my movies coming up. <laughs> so I'll ask you experience and advice. Okay, well, thank you uh, once again. I look forward to see you when the movies release. Come back again with your partner and we'll be happy to promote. Take care. Thank you. Thank you Take for having care. me on the show. Take care.